Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH and 94.5 FM for our friends on the greater east side. It took cops 50 minutes to respond to an apparent hate crime at a museum in Seattle. Why? The answer is what's trending. What's trending in Seattle? This actually happened last week. It happened on the 14th where police say a 76-year-old guy named Craig Milney was making racist statements while he shattered nine windows with a sledgehammer at the Wing Luke Museum in the International District in Seattle. It's a museum that is centered around Asian American culture or Asian culture. Now, it took 50 minutes for officers to arrive and... Those of you who listen to this show will not be shocked to find out why they were understaffed. They did not have the staff to send there. This is not necessarily going to be deemed a priority one phone call. I don't know if it was, but given the fact that this was just property damage, they're not going to rush in circumstances where they have competing issues that are violent in nature or You know, someone breaking into a home where someone is occupying. In in this case, a simple, even though it's not simple to the victims, but a a simple case of vandalism might not get the city to just send all units. So they had to wait 50 minutes. Now, the good news is they ended up still arresting this guy. It turns out 76-year-olds can't get very far on their own. Takes him a little bit of a while. He got winded, I'm sure, after the sledgehammer, the alleged attack. But they end up showing up. They end up arresting him. Now, I am super curious to find out about this guy's backstory. Because they they say he, at first I thought they said, I thought some reports said he was using slurs, which is not the case. He has since been charged with a hate crime, malicious mischief in the first degree. And that's very serious. And looking at some of the comments he made, the reason why I say I'm especially interested in finding out his backstory, police say or witnesses say, per the police, that he repeatedly said, the Chinese have ruined my life. He's 76 years old. Is this potentially a veteran? Or is it just someone who is dealing with mental illness? In this case, the reason why I go there is he said, the Chinese have tortured and tormented me for 14 years. I don't regret anything I did here. That's what he said to the officer per the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office. So what if we find out the Chinese government did do something to him? (laughs) Because the only thing I can think of in this case is an insane person, someone who's dealing with mental illness. Or there is some weird backstory. Not that it would justify this. Obviously, it's still a crime and it's still a hate crime, according to the law. But it was one of those odd stories, because usually when we get any kind of hate crime and it's motivated by race or religion, the language that's used usually is including slurs. Right. And it's not the Chinese ruined my life. It's just so oddly specific without being specific i mean he says he's been tortured obviously again i'm assuming this guy's crazy but that kind of caught my attention and i don't know why maybe again because we normally see very cut and dry someone saying a slur this is cut and dry in the sense that it clearly was motivated by race and he according to the police and i just got the 
uh, video surveillance. I'll post it on Twitter. I haven't been able to download it yet. I'm assuming it'll show him clearly doing this. But usually it's just, you're a bigot. Something's wrong with you. This guy just seems like there's something wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's It's a quite a bizarre detail to all of this. It's very weird. And again, the other thing that kind of throws me is his age. 76. Is, That's is old there, to be swinging around a sledgehammer. Yeah, is there you something say connected to that, though? I'm not saying he didn't do it. I'm not saying no, he got I'm help. Just, I'm not saying he, he took some crank beforehand no, and was able to lift cars, too. I'm just saying you generally don't see this kind of – you'll see a neighbor – who's 76 years old, yelling at his or her Asian uh, uh, neighbors, oh, we can't stand blah, blah, whatever it is. We had a story like that in something. Get off my lawn. They say uh, that (laughs) he has no remorse. He said, effing Orientals, they ruined my life, tortured me, and I lost my house. Maybe it was some, like, Chinese firm that purchased his home, and he decided to go after... What the one Asian American? I don't know if it's Chinese only. I'm not familiar with this museum. That, but that's who you go after. That's just so odd. If you're gonna go ahead and attack, go to the, you know, the business owner who stole your property. I'm kidding. Don't do that. He said the only regret I have. This, according to the prosecuting attorney's office, the only regret I have is that I didn't hit that bleeping bleeping bleep harder. But he, I didn't. They didn't say he hit the victim directly. He apparently doesn't know the victim. Joel Barkiel Tan is the museum's executive director. He spoke with Fox 13, and he said that this is tied. This is where it loses me. Sorry, guy. He's they're clearly the victim here. But this is where you lose me when you say things like this. Over 100 years of anti-Chinese policies and vigilantism, that isn't that long ago. That that isn't too too many generations ago. And I think this recent hate crime and vandalism is just connected to that. Okay, let's, let's relax a little. Let's pull back just a little bit. That's a little over the top. You're tying it to to anti-Chinese hate crimes from 100 years ago? Or that started 100 years ago versus just some nut job who feels like the Chinese, quote unquote, took his home. Why why do we have to do that? Why can't you just be victim and say you're the victim here without going and trying to make a larger societal point? The only thing the story is missing is blaming Donald Trump. That's the only thing that's missing. Now, according to the staff, they said the windows would cost about $100,000 or so to fix. I mean, it's some significant damage, which is a figure that was also posted in this prosecuting attorney's uh, document. Wing Luke's sister, Betty, says that this hate affects everyone. It isn't just an Asian-American problem. It's a problem that affects the whole community. Yeah, I, I guess you guys couldn't wait till the person behind you stop talking or maybe turn to them and say, hey, I'm, I, you can see the camera here, yeah? You see this camera? Yeah, I'm talking right now. Can you maybe chill out? I only have to give him a 13-second at most talking point clip. Could you just chill? Thank you. Just give me 13 seconds, man. Okay, sorry. What was your question? Couldn't, that couldn't happen, I guess. Okay, well, he's been charged. He's in jail. We'll see where this ends up going. I, I'm going to guess that the judge offers a... Uh, a competency hearing 
and they won't have a bed for this person. And because he's 76 years old, he will then be released very quickly. That's Jason Tells the Future on September 18th at 5.11 and something seconds long. That is what's going to happen here. He's not going to do any jail time. And frankly, at 76, this doesn't seem like something I would want anyone to go to jail for. They should pay for the damages. I don't know what that means when it's $100,000 worth of damage. Uh, If this guy is mentally ill, they need to treat it. Uh, There should be that kind of punishment of of financial, but that's we're not throwing a 76-year-old in jail when there's no physical injury, right? Even if it's considered a hate crime, by hate crime standards, if it's a 76-year-old doing property damage, even if it's motivated by hate, I don't necessarily need to put this guy in jail. I'm assuming he's white. I don't. I didn't see that in the 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 document. I'm assuming he is. That's a very Milne. So you know, but that's my Jason tells the future, and I'm I'm right. So we don't even have to check up in a few weeks. We'll just go with it. They do say that. Uh, in, in this Fox 13 story, there have been 70 anti-Asian crimes reported to the SPD this year. I'm curious of the 70, how many were actual crimes? Because you can call you know, SPD and say, I'm a victim of an anti-Asian crime. And then they show up and like, well, that doesn't qualify under the law. I, I'm, I'm curious what that is because that seems awfully high. If it was that high, we would have probably heard heard about like if it was the kinds of crimes like this we probably would have heard about it we were certainly hearing about it in 2021 we'll see now if this they were jews throw them in jail i'm kidding if it was a jewish museum that was targeted i think i would have exactly the same position am i wrong am i being sympathetic to a bad guy maybe just a tad bit i mean i think he's a a monster if any of this is true i just don't want to put a 76 year old guy who seems to be going through a mental health issue in jail well yeah this seems much more like a mental health story than anything else i think now if it is in fact mental health and it is established as that do we go back and say this wasn't a hate crime they're probably still gonna count it does it count should it count I'm asking. I, mean, I don't. I don't pro- know the answer probably. to that. I'm, I mean, I'm leaning probably as well. But if you're motivated by something beyond your control, well, if the mental health issue causes the hate, I think that hate still exists. To yeah, the but it's not necessarily the individual's fault, is what I'm saying. At least not directly. It's it's still his actions. Hard allegedly. to say. Oh, we'll see. Ah, what? Never mind. Put him in jail. I don't need the complaint letters from people. Oh, you're going easy. Yeah, put death penalty. How about that? Oh, but we don't have one. So blame Democrats. Push the button. What's trending in Trumplandia? Donald Trump is getting some interesting reactions from his interview on Meet the Press over the weekend with Kristen Welker. It was her first show. She got she she landed the big guy, his first network interview since leaving office. And he made a comment about abortion that has some Republicans calling him out, Republicans who have traditionally been pretty pro-Trump, and then others who have said, actually, his position is 100% the right one for Republicans to take ahead of an election. So let's listen and then judge together. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of... Oh, by the way, it's about a national abortion ban. I should have said that. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months, you're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy. Because 92% of the Democrats don't want to see 
abortion after a certain period of time. If a federal ban landed on your desk, if you were reelected, would you sign it at 15? Are you talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 weeks. Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks. That seems to be a number that people are talking about right now. Would you sign that? Uh, uh, I, would, I would sit down with both sides and I'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years. Uh, I'm not going to say I would or I wouldn't. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. Okay. So you can probably tell why people on the Republican side are reacting the way that they're reacting. On the one hand, you have folks who are adamantly pro-life, myself included, and believe that it is taking of an innocent life, abortion period, regardless of when it is you do it. I, I hold a slightly different view in that. I don't know when life begins, so I will err on the side of of protecting life, so I will say that it's conception. But I have, I have no idea. But that's what informs my position. The folks who are to that, to that side of the issue are saying this is a ridiculous comment by Donald Trump, that he is minimizing abortion, that he should be backing a national ban. Then you have other people who hold a more political position, regardless of how they feel about abortion, saying that's never going to happen. If you push out a national abortion during a campaign, especially, you will lose. You will alienate a ton of voters because the vast majority of this country are not there. They are, as he points out, at 15 weeks. That's where the polling suggests there's no significant disagreement. The majority of this country does support abortion bans to a point, not at five to six weeks. That's what all the polling says. That's the polling in blue states and red states. And we've certainly seen how red states such as Kansas, for example, and Wisconsin have shifted their vote on this particular issue, giving some key wins to Democrats over Republicans who should have won. So where do you stand? You can send me a text at 1-800-465-8770. I will say this. He is 100% correct. Politically speaking, and that's all I'm talking about here. Politically speaking, his position there is in line with the American people. And he's saying, I will bring both sides together and come up with something reasonable. That's going to be appealing to independents, moderates, who fear that, hey, I don't really like Donald Trump. I hate his politics. I hate his, his personality. But my God, Biden's the worst. But also, I don't want to encourage someone who's going to ban abortion. This can push them into his corner. Politically, it is a smart position. In fact, him staying so on script, on point, was brilliant. Now, whether or not we agree with it from a moral pers- perspective is different, right? I-, I don't agree with his position from a moral perspective. However, uh, this is one of those force for the trees moments. I- I'm not going to push for something that will never happen and guarantee that a Republican lose. I would rather them push for something that's better than what the Democrats want, win that, and then hopefully convince people to move their position closer to where I am, closer to where some of you guys are. 
But I don't want to lose the presidency over this issue. I don't want to lose the Senate or the House over this issue. And I don't see it as compromising my beliefs. I'm being upfront about my beliefs. I believe that it should be banned. But I don't want to lose an election over it because I know the damage that will be done on this issue if we lose. And that would be way worse than anything that Donald Trump just discussed there. But I'd like to hear from you. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending on the road? The United Auto Workers Union president got an offer of 20% pay hike, specifically from Stellantis, that automaker that we always forget is called Stellantis. And why don't we just call it Chrysler or whatever? Ford. Is Ford one of them? No, Ford's the other one. Um, Dodge. That's what I'm thinking of. They said no to a 21% increase in pay. What are they looking for? Sean Fain, the UAW president, says they want 40% pay increase. He was on CBS News. The reason we asked for 40% pay increases is because in the last four years alone, the CEO pay went up 40%. They're already millionaires. So? Do you not know how math works? You can criticize a CEO for getting a 40% raise if you want. I think there are some folks who are very uh, simplistic when it comes to this. They think because a CEO makes millions that somehow you should make millions. That's not how this works, nor should it be how it works. It's not minimizing the work that you do. It's you minimizing the work that a CEO, CEO does in order to get a company to become a multi-million dollar or multi-billion dollar company. It's the CEO's management. Am I disgusted as most people are with golden parachutes? Yes. But if they work that into their contract, that's what they get. This idea that auto workers should get a 40% increase when most of them are making close to, if not more than six figures, shame on you. You're greedy and you don't understand how business works. God bless these folks, but they don't understand how business works, and they're being taken advantage of. They have said, and they said this on Friday when they made the announcement of the strike, the the last few years they've made record profits. We should get those record profits. Okay, how about this? Do you want those record profits reflected in your paycheck forever, regardless of whether or not those profits hold? So let's say next year, throwing this out there, next year – the, the auto industry tanks again. It's miserable. All of these companies are losing money hand over fist. Should we take away your pay? Should we? I'm, I'm curious. Should we take away your pay? Because you're saying that, well, you're making a whole lot of money now, so I want you to give me a raise. And I want it to be guaranteed for the future of, of as a minimum, the future of my employment here, whether that's two years or 20 years. That's absurd. That You can't run a business like that. You can get bonuses based on performance. That makes sense. And that's how most business operates. I mean, depending on the role that you have. Don't look at You're not getting a No, you're not getting a bonus. I get the bonus. But let's say KTTH made record profits in 19, or 2019, right before COVID. And I said, you know what? We just made record profits. We just made 70% more 
or 70% over budget, great. I want 70% more in my paycheck. And then they agree to that. Well, what happened in 2020? Everything tanked because the economy blew up because of COVID. 2021 was just as bad, almost as bad. 2022 was pretty awful. 2023 hasn't been great. It's been pretty flat, the market. So the company owes me 70% because of that one year or two years or whatever it was? No. Now, if they came out and we negotiated, as most people who get bonuses will end up doing, you negotiate in your contract or whatever agreement you have. Hey, when you make more, when you make over budget, I get a, I get 20% of that property, whatever it is. Okay, that makes sense. And if they were arguing for that, depending on that number and depending on who's impacted, I could maybe see myself saying, okay, that's reasonable. But this isn't reasonable. This is absurd. This is absolutely absurd. And what's worse is that all of this is going to have an impact on the economy. Bob Nardelli is the former Chrysler CEO, and he spoke with Fox Business. I think we are woefully underestimating the financial impact on this strike. I've lived through this to your point. Customers are now going to become very jaunted. Do they order a car? If they do, how long will it take to get? What will the quality be? If you already own a car, what's the serviceability from the dealership? Remember, this is far bigger than just three plants on strike. Every city, every state has dealers that will be affected by this. Yeah, they're not thinking about those folks because they're getting some form of payment each and every week to strike. They have a fund. I can't remember what the total fund was, but I think they said they had enough for $500 a week in order to stay on the picket line just to make their lives a little bit easier. And they have apparently enough to go for quite a while. Now, in the short term, this is not going to impact the economy at all. It's not going to impact um, supply unless there's a whole bunch of panic buying, which I sincerely doubt is going to happen right now. But long term, this is going to hurt. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. When we come back, we're going to talk to the owner of a pot shop that had a stolen vehicle driven right through the storefront and, ex- and ask him as a liberal, who does he blame for all of this? It's the Jason Rancho. The Jason Ranch Show. Here to react, Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Ranch. And the rise of soft on crime laws and policies have made it worse. Our man in the Pacific Northwest, Jason Rance, is on that. And you keep on bringing these extraordinary stories from Seattle. It's amazing. Long form. Well, it happened again. Another pot shop got hit by thieves, this time in Redmond at Hashtag Cannabis. It happened yesterday morning about 4 a.m. And, of course, like all the others seem to be, This was a stolen car driven through the storefront, and then a group of thieves went out, stole what they could, and then escaped. Joining me on the line is the owner of the shop, Logan Bowers. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Usually, you and I, when you're on, we talk about political issues, and perhaps we will at the end of this, but what what happened? How how did you find out that this occurred to begin with? When did you learn? Yeah, well, uh, so our, our security alarm goes straight to our phone, so... Uh, I'm laying in bed at 3.59 in the morning, and uh, and I hear the beep on my phone, and I'm like, oh, boy, not again. Not again. This is the uh, eighth time, so, right? Uh, something like that, at, at least for, for Redmond. Uh, yeah. It's a p- pretty common occurrence that somebody gets a quote-unquote bright idea, thinks they can get something, break some glass, you know, get there in the middle of the night, sweep it up. Yeah. Although it's a recent phenomenon due to, I, I, I think you and I will agree on this, at least in part, uh, the law that says 
we're not going to pursue uh, anyone for a nonviolent crime. But but the recent phenomenon is driving stolen Hyundais or Kias into the storefronts of these vehicles and oftentimes getting away in another stolen car. I mean, did, did you yep. think something like this would eventually happen to you in Redmond? You know, I like I read about the Kia boys, as they, they're called, and I kind of was like, oh, that that seems like uh, it's going to be a problem. But I never I didn't quite expect it just because uh, we're, you know, at this point, we've got it dialed in that, like, they can't really get anything of value. Mm-hmm. So they end up, you know, it, it really shows that, like, it's the dumbest criminals turning out with the stolen Kias because it's just so easy. Yeah, and they're often they're oftentimes juveniles. I, I can't tell from the surveillance footage, which we posted on, on Twitter, it kind of looks like they're younger, but are, is there any information available yet at this point? No, I mean, uh, I haven't heard anything uh, specific from the police, and, and your guess is as good as mine. But yeah. I, I do think they look pretty young in the footage. Um, one of them jumps the counter, and uh, certainly at my age, I'm, I'm probably not uh, <laughs> that suave at that move. What was what did they take? Uh, you know, I mean, they take like some handfuls of display product off the shelf. I mean, everything. There's no money. There's everything's locked up. So they get a few handfuls of product, and that's about it. But they do five figures of damage in the process. Well, exactly. I mean, the the, the damage to your store is way more significant than whatever product they potentially stole. Oh yeah, yeah, easily. Probably fifty times more more cost in fixing the fixing the store than in in the value of the stuff they took. And how how does this now go with, with insurance? I, I don't even know if you're insured the traditional way, just because it's a, a marijuana shop. And I know that a lot of companies might just stay away. Yeah, it's um, you know people kind of think that like oh insurance just just pays for this like money kind of falling out of the sky but you know if you if you file an insurance claim and they they pay out for you then they just raise your premiums because they're mm-hmm. like wow well that you know they ought to they ought to make it back insurance companies always make money so uh so you just pay higher premiums and you pay it all back you know over the next couple of years um so for us uh, as a cannabis shop there are only two insurance carriers that uh work with us and we have to have insurance by state law so unless it's really catastrophic we're just paying it out of pocket yeah, and and this is how many how many shops do you have at this point? We currently we have three. We have one in Seattle, uh, one this one in Redmond, and then uh, we just recently opened one in Everett. Uh, we'll push the Everett one aside for a moment, but in Seattle, have you had recent issues there at all? Um, so yes, we were robbed at gunpoint at uh, in Seattle earlier this year, which was. Very unfortunate. Fortunately, all of the staff was safe and no one was hurt, but it's certainly a very scary occurrence. Um, and it was a very, very common last year. But this year they hit five shops in one night and we were one of them. Let's talk about the politics behind this, uh, mostly because you and I get along, even though we disagree on, I think, 98 percent of everything. Uh, Logan Bowers is a former Seattle City Council candidate, and that's how he and I got to know each other. Are are you placing blame the way I am on the vehicular pursuit bill for this? Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, to be honest, I think there's, there's something there. Um, I, I think there is uh, definitely some issues where, um, you know, the state and the city don't have the kind of right rules of engagement. And 
and, and one of the things that, that's really important to me, and, and I don't know exactly how this translates, how this should translate into policy, is like it's really important that we nab criminals when they're doing something low stakes because otherwise they're going to mm-hmm. go on and do something high stakes and then someone's going to die. Exactly. Um, and I think so, this know, idea that, that we just want to throw people into jail is just that's not the case uh, unless they're particularly violent. I don't think anyone has an appetite for throwing kids into jail. But this idea that we're just not going to punish and we'll put you in some restorative justice program that we know doesn't work because it's run by police abolitionists. It's just like I don't know who we're serving. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely there's definitely some issues there to, to work out. Um yeah, I and you know, I, you and I probably disagree on like the the how how exactly we would tweak those programs, but I sure. certainly agree that there's there needs to be some work done there because it's it's definitely not working out. And uh, one of the things we see, uh, one you know, so with the with the armed robbery, it's it's actually kind of a ring of of people, and it's it's a set of adults that are having juveniles commit the crime because they know that the consequences are lower, mm-hmm. um, and that they're much less likely to be prosecuted, and that creates um, this kind of like moral hazard where these, you know, they're, they're yeah. putting these kids into into extra dangerous situations and 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 putting our, you know, our staff in dangerous situations uh, by not having a, a criminal justice system that responds appropriately. Where do you think the disconnect is? Because to your point, yeah, you and I probably disagree on some of the the the, the key details on how we would address this better within a restorative justice framework right i i generally am okay with this as a concept so long as there's still some consequences and follow-up and oversight but you're not arguing with me it's i'm not in charge conservatives aren't in charge this is an issue that you know it's it's democrats and progressives that seem to be battling this out you've got on the one side of the left very far to left basically taking that abolitionist position and then you've got the more moderates saying you know, yeah, jail sometimes is necessary, uh, not always, but we got to do something. So where is that disconnect and why is there still such infighting on this issue, do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I feel as a small business owner uh, a little bit politically homeless in this respect because, yeah. you know, when we have a staff, something that's, that's really important is if you want your staff to perform well, you have to pay them well, you have to train them well, uh, but you also have to hold them accountable. And And I think there's a challenge we we have a faction in politics that just wants to pay this you know not have any staff and then wonder why there's problems and you know as as far as policing goes and then we have uh but but the faction that funds them isn't always so motivated for for um accountability and kind of realistic um uh responsibilities and Mm -hmm. so we end up kind of in this netherland where we have a a kind of unaccountable um, kind of dysfunctional organization because because leadership can't figure out um, you know what they're going to do and so uh, you know kind of have no plan in in the city where where I'd like to see a coherent plan. Yeah, just something. Even if it's a bad plan, at least we can critique it and then make it into a good plan. You know what I mean? Like I, I keep hearing, for, at least in the city of Seattle, you know, Bruce Harrell constantly says, oh, my office, don't worry. We're working on a plan. We're going to have that plan to you real quickly. And then a few weeks goes by and says, oh, we're hard at work at this plan. And then he hopes you basically forget and then he doesn't do anything. Are you in a position because you find yourself 
sort of in that political tension there. And, and as a candidate, I remember there was some tension there as well. Everyone kind of agreed with you on the left as far as housing issues and transportation. But because you owned a pot shop, they're like, well, this is a white guy who owns a pot shop and the drug on war, uh, the war on drugs was hard against black people. And thus he's an enemy. It was always kind of weird, that dynamic. But how, how do you identify politically w- w- when it comes to Seattle politics? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I um, I always thought I was on the left as a growing up, but but uh, I guess I I kind of end up just being like a normie Democrat liberal, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of common sense. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say in in these times like uh, what the what the proper label is. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think at the the end of the day, you know, the small business owners that that we all interact with. Uh, in our lives are usually the ones to feel the problems first when it comes to mm-hmm. law and order, just because we're the, we're the ones with either on the front lines ourselves or with staff on the front lines. And, and we're, yeah. we're feeling that pretty directly. So, um, you know, we're definitely the ones that it kind of raised the alarm first. Do you get any sense that we're headed in the right direction? Um, you know, it's hard to tell if there's a coherent, you know, if, if we're, we're moving in the right direction. I will say last year, um, the the armed robbery rate was just terrible in the whole region. We were seeing three or four cannabis shops a night mm-hmm. being robbed at gunpoint. And eventually, um, and it took months and months and months for law enforcement um, to kind of take the problem seriously. And But they eventually did, and things quieted down. And so, uh, so I am uh, grateful for that. Um, but but also I'm, my eyebrow raises because my understanding is is they have to refer cases to the FBI to get solid prosecutions, and um, uh, so so they they're, they have to push the cases out of out of state, which was actually difficult because the FBI, mm-hmm. um, you know, cannabis is illegal federally still. So um, you know I, I see glimmers and and I hope that's a systemic improvement, but it, it could also just be that we have some hardworking folks. Um, in our in our city government that that are able to do the right thing from time to time. Well, again, I always put the the invitation out there. You'll have to change some of your views, but th- there's always a place within the Republican Party because we're the big tent uh, party, unlike the uh, the progressives right now who don't want you there. We'll, we'll take you, even if you vote with us 50 percent of the time. You know, it, that's more than what what other Democrats are doing. So I'll take it. Well, you know, hopefully we can uh, we can both agree on some some common sense sense uh, policies totally. for our city. So so much of this stuff is, if we're being totally honest, it's not political at all. It becomes political because it ends up getting impacted by politics. But at the end of the day, I think most people look at this and they just say, "Yeah, this what's happening right now is clearly wrong. There needs to be a criminal uh, a law enforcement aspect to to this problem. It doesn't have to be the only one, but they have to be involved." Logan Bowers from hashtag cannabis in Redmond, but also your shops in uh, Seattle and now in Everett. Thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Jason. Absolutely. I appreciate it. You're listening to The Jason Rancho. When we come back, it's time for a quick hit. The Jason Rand Show. Let's bring in our man in the Pacific Northwest, KTTH, Seattle talk radio host Jason Rance. Great to have you with us to tell people a little bit more about this. Jason Rance is in focus now. Jason Rance, thank you for your reporting on that. The Quick Hit. When you're a party that bases its ideological positions, its policy positions, its activism 
on this obsession over identity, you end up creating an inevitable conflict. Because at some point, when you say you care most about marginalized communities and you're really going to fight for them, well, sometimes marginalized communities have conflicting positions, worldviews. And at some point, that means you are going to have to choose one identity over the other, which is why I'm turning to a city I've never heard of, (laughs) Hamtramck, Michigan. I imagine it's a small city. But it is a city that is majority Muslim. And the city council is majority Muslim. Now, Muslims used to be a community that the left said that they cared most about. That's what they claimed. Now, of course, there are religious positions that Islam holds that does not bode well for progressive line of thought, but they usually ignore that because this was always about virtue signaling anyway. But there's a story out of Fox News about how LGBT residents in the city claim to feel some sort of betrayal, and that's a quote, over the city council's decision to get rid of the pride flags from all public property. They voted unanimously back in June to ban pride flags from public flagpoles, saying that they want to respect the religious rights of citizens who oppose the symbol. Now, months later, you have this story out of the Washington Post that Fox News is turning to, highlighting that the anger is still there. In fact, people are still showing up complaining about this at city council meetings. It is clear that you are either ignorant or hateful in spite. So you're calling Muslims hateful and ignorant? Democrat Party, where do you stand on this? We know that Democrats right now have been leaning into everything LGBTQIA++, 2S, uh, smiley face emoji, and a little furry. We're adding a furry this time. They, they've been leading into that, saying that this is the, they're the most marginalized community, particularly transgender and all these transgender toddlers that we're supposed to pretend exist. So which side are you going to take? You have folks who are Muslim. And you're simply saying that you support them as a community. You're not saying you support their positions. You're just saying you support Muslims. Well, do you support Muslims more than you support the LGBT community? Because here you've got a conflict. Now, this would not be a difficult choice for folks who were not so obsessed with identity, right? Now, I personally don't think LGBT pride flags should go up on city property because I think it is taking on a political position. I've not always held that position, but when the flag became overtly political and tied to the gender extremism of the left, I said, yeah, okay, I'm sitting this one out. And I'm actually a member of that community. I just don't think that it's right. I don't think the government should be taking a position for or against that. Politicians differently, but as a government agency. I don't think they should be getting into very specific worldviews. And I hold that view of even the Blue Lives Matter flag. I don't think that should go up on city property outside of law enforcement. 
because that's obviously directly tied to law enforcement. Now, if, I suppose if you had an office of LGBT affairs, okay, I'll give you that one. It's not going up above the state and U.S. flag, but you can post it there because I do think in that context it's a little bit different. So I'm the one being consistent here. Folks on the left, do you think they're going to take a hardcore stance on this? Seriously, do you think anyone is going to call out the Muslim city council or the Muslim mayor in this city saying what they're pushing is wrong because it dehumanizes the LGBT community? You think anyone's going to do that? No, of course not. They might talk around it, which you would then think that the LGBT community in the small city, and again, I can't imagine there are a ton in this city, and I'm willing to bet that some folks came out of town to these meetings to complain. But I'm surprised when folks within that community don't feel betrayed by the Democrats who will then refuse to back them. I am a Lebanese person and I support the American flag. We are not going to sit here and tolerate you guys coming and say, oh, it's Pride Month. You're gay? No problem. You'll be gay by yourselves. Not by- Don't sit here throw down kids' throats, my throat, or anybody's throat. Now, the majority of people, I think, actually subscribe to that general position. They maybe would not have phrased it with all the things about putting things down throats. But I think, generally speaking, people, not just in that community, but just in this country, hold that view. That the American flag actually does matter to a lot of us. It's not something that's frivolous. It's not something that should share a poll with a political movement, or even if it was purely about pride. I I don't think it should be shared there either in a general sense. But unfortunately, the folks who make these demands about putting up pride flags or BLM flags, not always, but there is a clear intersection of, of activists who just do not like this country. It's uh, un, that's an unfortunate reality. And if they don't like this country, if it's not if they don't fall into that category, they likely fall into the category of thinking there's some systemic issues and unless you dismantle them and and rebuild them in an image of left-wing policy, it's never truly going to be a great country. I, I you know, you're you have every right to hold that position, but my god, join reality. And maybe they wouldn't be alienating so many folks within any community if they didn't hold those positions and spew that vile rhetoric all the time. And, and we, you know, I, I know this from here in Washington and in Seattle in particular, the, the groups that are the most militant when it comes to activism on the LGBT side of things or issues, they're the same ones who become militantly activist w- within BLM. And with socialist alternative. And with insert whatever left-wing cause you have. They're usually the same group of people. And maybe folks are starting to pick up on that and they're just like, yeah, no, we're done. Not all of us hate America as much as you do. And by the way, as that guy said, he's Lebanese. He's a Lebanese American who's proud to live here. 1-800-465-877. You don't forget I'm on Hannity later tonight. You're listening to The Jason Rancho.